Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Every month, I get to go sit down with this individual and just share stories as a friend, as a family member, as a collegiate individual, pastoring in the same region. Our lives have been knit together for years from playing football, to doing ministry, to working in selling copiers together, then having our different jobs, having shared office space, interacting, dreaming of the day that one day that God would see fit, that he would raise us up, that we could help equip and empower people in all that Jesus has for them. And that person is the one and only Pastor Scott Hayes. Pastor Scott Hayes is one of one. When he speaks, it's oil to people's souls. I'm telling you, my life is forever better from my interactions and my touch points with Pastor Scott. He leads Element Church in East Lansing. Our church, church's birth in the same year, one week apart. God has been paralyzed, paralleling our lives for a long time. He's on the board here. He is an overseer here. He is helping shape and mold and empower all God is doing in City Life. So he has a word for us. Come on. He is sharing. God has anointed and equipped him. And he's a family member here. So I want you to give a warm, exciting welcome to the one and only Pastor Scott Hayes. Well, hey, what's up, City Life Lansing? It is so good to be here with you on a Sunday morning. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Scott Hayes. My wife, Erica, and I, we pastor a church in East Lansing, Michigan called Element. And we have been right down on the university campus at Michigan State University for about five years. And I have known Pastor Jerome and Crystal and their basketball team of kids for a really long time. I remember uh, Jerome... Uh, being at an apartment in Lansing, he was selling used cars at Gilly's Auto Sales, and he had a little keyboard in his apartment and uh, his little house that he was renting. And I remember him talking about music and ministry and people, and I know he was dreaming, and in his heart was what is happening today. And so I am so encouraged to be here today. Uh, I feel like part of the City Life family, and whether you know me or not, uh, so well, some of you I've known for you know a decade or longer. Uh, for some of us, we're just getting to meet each other now, but I consider us family. And so I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak uh, into this family, which I consider myself to be a part of. And I do actually sit on your board of trustees and your board of overseers. And so whether you know it or not, this right here is a huge part of one of the greatest joys and honor of my wife and I's life is to be a part of what's happening here at City Life. So just wanted to let you know that as far as my wife and I are concerned, you guys are our heroes. Um, You guys are some of the greatest people on the planet and we consider you family. I want to tell you one quick story about your pastor just to honor him um, and let you know a little bit. Maybe you know the story. I don't know. But um, Pastor Jerome was leading Sounds Good, which was a a music ministry. And of course, we never called it a music ministry. It was always a ministry using music. And uh, I sat on the board of that ministry for the entirety of the life of that organization from day one all the way through. And I remember when Jerome and the team actually opened up at the Breslin Center. It was like this huge win. It was, it was like, this is, I mean, for musicians, it's like, this is the moment. We're playing the 
Breslin Center, there was big name artists coming in and they opened up and it was like a highlight. It was adrenaline. It was crazy. Uh, my favorite story from that night though was after the show was over and after all that went, everyone was tired. The team was tired. Everybody was poured out. And there was a youth group bus that had broken down in the parking lot of the Breslin Center. And I remember him, uh, Pastor Jerome, leading the team and they went in and they actually hung out and ministered and rapped and did music for the kids on the bus until uh, the the you know, tow trucks or whatever could show up and get them where they needed to go. And I've always seen in your pastor that even in the moments that other people would look on and say, oh, you got to open at the Breslin. That is a cool moment. That the moment he's always been most passionate about is the moment where he's on the bus ministering to the one. And I've watched that in him for over a decade and a half. And that DNA and that heart has continued to just just spread out amongst this house and this family. And so I just want to honor your pastor and Crystal and the, again, the basketball team of kids. And, and again, just thank you for letting me be here today uh, and enjoy some family time together. So when Pastor Jerome asked me to share today, he told me the date and everything. And, and I said, hey, uh, you realize that's like the first Sunday after the election, right? And he was like, yeah, I do. And we kind of <laughs> we kind of laughed and joked and I went, yay. And, uh, and, then, and then I started thinking about it and I started praying about it and I started asking myself, God, how can I speak to our family about a moment like this? And here's actually something that's kind of interesting or fun today is right now, um, it's Tuesday the 3rd. And as of th this recording, we actually don't know what is going to happen. And I actually think that's a huge benefit for what I want to share today because what I'm going to share today is relevant um, for no matter what the outcome is, it speaks to all of us. And so I want you to know that I'm speaking this message to us today, and I believe God has a word for us today, regardless of what the outcome is, this message stands true all the same. And so I want to pray over us uh, as we kind of jump in this morning. And we're going to be talking today about unity. And we're going to be talking about the need for God's people to dwell together in unity. So let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, that even as um, we're together this morning on a Sunday, God, at the, at the moment we're recording this and, and, and I'm praying this prayer, I don't know exactly what the cultural landscape looks like. But God, we know that in the middle of whatever the cultural landscape will look like, God, that you're on the throne. King Jesus, that you're on the throne. And that your kingdom is not shaken. And Hebrews 12 talks about the shakable kingdoms and it, how when the shakable things, the made things, the material things, the worldly things shake, that the unshakable kingdom comes into center focus. So I pray today, even as we turn our attention to unity and what that looks like as your people, as your sons and daughters, God, that you would help us base our hope and our trust, even in a cultural landscape like this, that we would base our hope and our trust in you, God, and in your kingdom. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for opening our hearts and our ears. And for some of us, that may be a real challenge even now. God, I pray that you, the God of all comfort, would speak comfort and peace into your people this morning. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome, you guys. Well, I want to actually start out this morning uh, with the teaching component, and I want to read you the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And this is what he said in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. 
Be patient. And those are some words for us in a moment like this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. And then check this out in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope. When you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all and through all and all and all. And so what Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus is he's saying this, listen, in a time of cultural turmoil, in a time where there's an opportunity for us to not be in unity, we need to, quoting Paul, to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called. And so here's what we need to do, you guys. In a day like today, I want to acknowledge and recognize that there's been a lot at stake politically. There's a lot at stake in our country. I understand that. I'm sure you understand that. But what I want to propose to us this morning is that there's even more at stake right now than politics and policies. What's at stake right now is the reputation of Jesus Christ and his church. And, and we have a responsibility as God's people to fight, as Paul would say, to keep the bond of unity through the spirit of the bond of peace, the spirit of peace. It's about Jesus and his reputation and his people. And so, you know, the enemy's plan for us, for the church, is division. And that's why there's more happening right now on this Sunday than just what meets the eye. And obviously, we've been inundated with social media and politics and news and all of that. And honestly, even at this moment on a Sunday, we may not even yet know who the president is or going to be. But here's what we know. The enemy is trying to divide us for a deeper spiritual purpose than what's happening on the surface. And we need to pay attention to that because the enemy's plan is division. God's plan is unity. So how do we do this? How do we do this unity and diversity kind of thing? And I want to pause there for just a second and I want to actually brag on City Life Lansing for a second. Do you know, I'm, I'm compelled by this idea that when a church goes through a season like the one we've been through, that the churches that are truly diverse... That's actually a good thing, that when we sense tensions around our differences politically or, or racially or culturally, that that's actually a beautiful thing because what it means is that there are different, there's a diversity of people coming together under one banner and the banner is Jesus. And I think that's a beautiful testimony to this church and to this house and to this family. But how do we do this and how do we walk in this? And, and, um, and I, I want to give us an analogy and then I want to remind us again of what Paul said and then I want to give us some thoughts and some points to think through. First, the analogy or the conceptual uh, picture, okay? Um, I, I was a college football player, and I, I love sports. I love football. And uh, every Sunday in pro football, there is uh, something called three and a half hours of perpetual warfare between two teams. It's called the football game. Uh, you can move it to Saturday if you want to talk about college. But there's three and a half hours of two teams that are going to come onto a field, and they're going to be at perpetual warfare for about three and a half hours. There's no holds bar. They are going to be at each other, and that's going to happen. Warfare. There's one team and two teams. But there's actually a third team on the field. And the third team on the field is actually the referees. And the referees are radically outnumbered because both of the other players, the teams have players and coaches and they have fans. Well, at least usually they have fans. And, and there's a third team, the referees. They're incredibly outnumbered. They don't play for either team. They actually come onto the field, but they're not of the field. They're actually from a different place. In the case of the NFL, they're, they're under a rule book of authority from New York City. 
And they are there on the field, not to go after the interest of either of the teams, but to actually be true to the book of authority that comes from a different place in order that the warfare taking place on the field doesn't spiral into chaos. And when the referees do their job and they're faithful to the book of authority that comes from another place, they actually step onto the field, they take heat from all sides, and yet they don't represent any side. And I want to propose again to us this morning that as Jesus followers, that's our role, is that we are actually ones who are on the field, but not of the field. We are in the world, but not of the world. We are caring for and care about all the teams and all the sides and all the players and all the coaches and all the fans, but ultimately our allegiance, our alliance, and our obedience is to a book of authority that comes from another place. And that is how we make our calls. That's how we operate. And that is when the fans, whatever side it may be, are booing or a player is in our face. That is the book that we look to and that is what we are all about. And I would just propose to us that as Jesus followers, I understand that we have leaned twos on different teams. But ultimately our job, at least the apostle Paul would say and Jesus would say, that our job is to be the third team on the field. That we don't wear a jersey of either team. That we wear a third kind of jersey. And the statement this morning is that not wearing a team's jersey is not a compromise of the mission. It is the mission. Unity is the mission, and we are called for a different function and a different purpose. Psalm 133 says this. One of my favorite psalms is very short. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down onto the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. We'll talk about that in just a second, what that means. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Verse 3. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Well, where's the there? For there the Lord, in the place of unity, in the place of diversity coming together in unity. And so not wearing either team's jersey is not compromising the mission. It is the mission. And so here's four quick ideas in the time that we have left, and our time is short. I want to give you four reasons why it's imperative that we make every effort to keep the bond of unity in God's house. So why do we fight for unity? Why do a bunch of diverse people come together? And even though we have important agendas and ideas and convictions, why do we say those are important, but they're secondary to, to the banner of Jesus? Why do we do that? Number one is that we can't really have joy or be happy without other people. And so it's really kind of, I guess, like a base idea, but we talk about unity and we talk about the importance of unity. We can't really be happy by ourselves. You know, if you go back to the book of Genesis at the very beginning and you look at that, do you know God created Adam in the garden and Adam and God were walking and talking together in the cool of the day in the garden. So Adam is in paradise with God and God looks on and says, hmm, you have a, a strong vertical relationship with me. You're in a personal paradise and yet you don't have a horizontal relationship and it's the first time in the biblical record that God says something isn't good. 
And so we think happiness comes from kind of creating a personal paradise or getting all of our situations and circumstances put together and in order. Um, we think about that financially or, you know, I could fill in the blank on a lot. Maybe you can fill in the blank on what, what you think about that. But we think happiness comes from a personal paradise around us or controlling our circumstances. What if personal happiness didn't come from a personal paradise, but it came from creating horizontal relationships around us in the image of God? And in Genesis 2.15, it says God took man, put him in the garden. We already talked about that. It's paradise. He's with God. And then it's not good for him to be alone. Well, he wasn't vertically alone. He was horizontally alone. You go, well, okay, Pastor Scott, that's a fine idea. Well, look at what happens next in the Bible. It's exactly what happens to us next in our lives a lot of times, is that God creates a horizontal relationship for Adam. Adam and Eve are together now in the garden, and look what happens next. Almost immediately, relational brokenness takes place. And brokenness enters in, and Adam and Eve, they start um, blaming each other and pointing fingers at each other. They start pointing fingers at God. They start moving into shame. They start wrestling with freedom and their failure. And, and all of this brokenness comes in as soon as horizontal relationships are introduced. And yet God said, it's not good for you to be alone. And so kind of bringing to summation this first idea is that relationship horizontally is good, even when it's not immediately pleasant. And I think that as God's people, we have to stop creating this idea of like a perfect paradise and what we'll be happy when we can get everything around us under control. And we have to start wading into the grittiness and the brokenness and the, the, the grind of loving, imperfect, broken people around us. And what if true happiness and joy actually takes place in that context? And I think it does. And I think as City Life Lansing, you guys actually understand that more than most churches I've ever been around. It's all about the one. It's all about moving into the city. It's all about caring for the one. And I love how you guys do that. But um, we need to remind ourselves in a moment like this in our nation that it's worth fighting for unity horizontally with each other because we can't be happy alone. The second thought about why we should fight for unity is that we really can't be productive by ourselves. And, and you know, I said I talk about Psalm 133, verse 3, where it says it's as if the dew of Mount Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Now, that's an interesting statement. What does that mean? Well, I want to read this to you. Mount Hermon was 100 miles northeast of Jerusalem, and it rose 9,000 feet continually up into the air. So it had snow, dew, and water that ran down and supplied the surrounding areas with life. Okay, um, the other mountain didn't. It was dr a dry and barren place. And so, what the scripture is saying is Psalm one thirty three three. It's it's as if that when when there's unity, when diversity comes together in unity, it's as if the dew of Hermon, the place of life, were actually falling onto Mount Zion, the place where there is no life. So let me say it like this: When we have unity in God's kingdom, it brings life to places where there is no life. When we have unity and we fight for unity, it makes places supernaturally productive that aren't typically productive. And I could go into this, but there's supernatural fruitfulness, and that is made possible in the place of unity. That's what Psalm 133 tells us. And, you know, if you think about like the Industrial Revolution, everybody kind of playing a part. That takes a lot of diverse people and a lot of diverse pieces coming together to operate and, and move forward and to turn out an assembly line for one purpose. If it's Ford or GM, um, it's cars. If, you know, I could go on and widgets and whatever companies, you know, even something as fascinating as doing this right now and recording this. There's so many amazing City Life team members that have been just running around here today and cameras and sound and lights and 
It's amazing. Everybody has a part to play. And you know, just by way of reminder, if you're watching this today, you have a part to play. And you know what? You have a place here at City Life and we need your talent. We need your gifting and um, you can join the team. And I want to encourage you to do that because you know what? Even though we're a diverse group of people, we all rally together under the banner of Jesus for one purpose and there's supernatural productivity when that happens in a place of unity. And it's like an assembly line churning out life and love and care for people and bringing life, supernatural life, to dry and barren places. And that's what you guys are doing and that's what we're doing and we each have a part to play. This is your church and this is our city and we get to serve in unity together and see supernatural life move into places where there usually isn't life. That's what unity will do and that's the second reason we need to fight for unity is that it's productive. The third idea is that we can't really know God by ourselves. And I know that when I say that, we can't really know God by ourselves. You might be like, what does that mean? I can know God by myself. Yeah, you can know God to a certain degree, of course, by yourself. However, there is a knowledge of God that we gain by watching someone else's relationship with God. We learn about God through them. Um, I'll say it another way. The more, I'm not sure this is even the right way to say it. The more different we are, the more we can learn about watching each other relate with God. So if there's someone very similar to me and thinks like me and acts like me and lives in places like I do, and I watch them relate with God, I learn a certain a, a bit about my father from watching them. But if I am around someone really different, with a different life experience, with a different circumstance, and I watch them relate with God, it actually challenges the way I understand my father because I watch you relate with your father. And so it's really interesting um, that God bestows a blessing there in the place of diversity moving together in unity. Um, it's really interesting. It talks about the oil running down Aaron's beard it, down onto his robe. And this is a picture in the Bible. Oil represents God's presence or God's spirit. And when it's running down his beard onto his robe, it's showing excess or like an overabundance of God's presence and spirit in the place of unity. And I want to show you three quick things about the significance of the oil that they used that this is referencing. And in the Old Testament, we can read about this in Exodus 30. I won't read it now, but you can go read it. Um, there's, um, the oil is made up of myrrh, cinnamon, fragrant cane, cassia, and olive oil. And so here's what's really interesting is that the Bible actually talks about what the anointing oil looks like that represents God's spirit. And here's what I want you to see. The oil represents God's presence or God's anointing. That's a real spiritual biblical word, anointing, but it's, it's God's power and presence. The second thing is that the oil's amount is significant. It's literally running over, down off of his beard onto his clothes. It's a lot. And then the third thing is that the oil's made up of diversity. Did you, did you catch that? That the oil's actually made up of five different parts. You know, God could have created this and said, well, just, just anoint each other with olive oil. He didn't. It's actually diverse, very diverse. Cinnamon, myrrh, fragrant cane, cassia, and, and olive oil. Those are really different types of things. And the pressing and the crushing of those diverse things all come together into one oil. And that oil in, in, in excess represents God's presence and power. I think it's a beautiful picture of diversity coming together for the same purpose in unity. And um, God, God's anointing flows liberally where diversity operates for a unified purpose. And so, um, I, again, I, I know more about God from being around people that are different than me. I want to read you a quick quote from C.S. Lewis. He was speaking about two friends that he had. And there, so there was three friends, C.S. Lewis, Charles, and Ronald. And one of his friends dies. I, well, I'll read this to you and then we'll talk about it. 
C.S. Lewis says, in each of my friends, there's something that only some of my other friend can bring out. So he's saying, there's three of us, but I only get to see certain parts of this friend, Charles, when Ronald's around. I'll keep reading. Charles passes away, and and C.S. Lewis says, now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to a specific Charles joke. Far from having more of Ronald, um, having him to myself, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. We possess each friend, not less, but more, as the number of those with whom we share him increases. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, communicates that unique vision to all the rest of us. That, says an old author, is why the seraphim in Israel's vision are crying, holy, holy, holy to one another, in Isaiah 6.3. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall all have. And there's this idea that when there's three friends, one of them tells a specific type of joke and the other one responds a specific type of way. And I get to see something unique in that friend that only that other friend can bring out of them. And in a very similar way, I get to see watching this family and watching you serve God and love God, I get to grow in my relationship and understanding of my father by watching your relationship. And to the degree that there is extended diversity, there's extended knowledge. And that's a reason for fighting for unity in diversity. I'll give you one other piece on that and I'll move to four and I'll close. In the Old Testament, Eli and Samuel are two prophets and Eli is the old prophet, Samuel's the young prophet and Samuel is understudying under Eli and one night he's laying in the temple and God speaks to the young prophet but he doesn't know it's God and so he continually goes to Eli to say, did you call for me? And Eli says, I didn't call for you. And so um, the third time that Samuel goes to Eli, Eli understands what's happening and he says to Samuel, that's God speaking to you. God speaking to you. Next time he speaks, just say, speak, speak God, your servant's listening. And here's what I want you to see in this. Samuel was hearing the voice of God audibly, but didn't know it was God without having another person in his life who could help him identify it. Now, I understand we can hear God's voice alone. I understand that. But what I'm saying is when we're around each other and there's great diversity and there's a collaboration of knowledge and there's a collaboration of experience, there's something that happens in our walk with God where we can hear him more clearly. I think that's significant. We can't fully know Jesus by ourselves. We need each other to know God more even when he's speaking audibly and we need each other and that's a reason for fighting for unity. And number four, and I'll close with this, is that the world will never truly know Jesus without unity. You know, um, in John 17, right before Jesus is going to go to the cross, it's the night before he goes to the cross, it's like his dying wish, it's like his deathbed um, manifesto. Jesus prays for us. He prays for his disciples but then he prays for us and what he prays comes right out of John 17. It says this, John 17, 20, my prayer is not for my disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be one in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I'll skip ahead to verse 23. I and them and you and me, this is Jesus talking, so that they may be brought to complete unity. He's praying for us to be in unity. And then check this out. Then the world will know that you have sent me, God, and have loved them even as you have loved me. And here's what we need to know. Unless God's people work in unity, the world will never see Jesus. And you know, Jesus prayed for us to be one in unity, not just so that we'd get along, but so the world would see him and look on at a diverse group of people and say, they're so different. They think so different. Man, there's tension all over our culture about all the things that they have too. But look at the way they love each other. 
Look at the peace that they carry over each other. Look at the sacrifice they have for one another. Look at the unity and the bond of peace that they carry with one another. There's something supernatural there and I need it. And the world turns to Jesus. And that is why we have to fight to keep unity together. So you guys, we've got to choose the third team. We can't wear a jersey of either team. We've got to wear that third jersey. And we've got to stay on the field, but not of the field. We've got to be obedient to the book of rules that comes from somewhere else. And as we are faithful and diligent to God's book, and as we stand in the field, as the perpetual warfare is taking place, we can make sure it doesn't spiral into chaos. Let me pray for us that we'll fight for each other instead of fighting each other. And let me pray over you. Father, I thank you for this morning. And God, I pray that we would ask ourselves the question this morning, what practical, intentional step do we need to take at City Life Lansing to be united in this, in this season, in a season like this? So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts even right now in this moment of prayer. Holy Spirit, would you speak and would you lead and would you guide? Would you, would you just impress on our hearts, God, what is that thing that we need to do? God, maybe it's a phone call we need to make to make an apology. Maybe it's, um, God, maybe it's something in our own heart that nobody else even knows is there, but it's something we need to get settled with you, God. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts even now? And as you're speaking, I just pray this over us as a City Life family. God, I pray, God, that we would fight for unity, God, in order that, God, we would experience happiness and joy, that we would experience supernatural productivity, God, that we would experience your presence and your power in the place of unity and that life would come into places where there's typically not life. And God, that the world would come to see you. We thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Go uh, uh, have the best Sunday of your life after our gathering's over. We love you. We're praying for you. We're so proud of you. And I'm just thankful and humbled and honored that we get to be part of this family. Love you guys. Have an amazing Sunday. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.